I think what I want to do, if it's all right with you, is to take Dale on the road with me to give me introductions everywhere I go. <laughs> I'm telling you, that was fantastic. I, I hesitate to correct you, but he said that uh, we built this place. And I'll tell you, as we all know, and I know he knows this as well, that God built the place through great people like you. And uh, this is really uh, the greatest honor that I could have, really, to speak in this place. Because from my perspective, and I don't think I'm far off on this, this is the greatest church on the face of this earth. And so it's just great to be a part of it and to see what God continues to do. I'm telling you, the baptisms here just about every week, people coming to Christ just about every week, it's, it's an exciting thing for me to see this carried on in the way that it's been carried on to the glory of God. Well, I don't start timing me yet. I haven't started preaching yet. So, uh, But I, I have to take advantage of the situation here to thank you people for what was the greatest retirement celebration that I have ever heard tell of in my entire life in any church on the face of the earth. Really, I've never heard of anything like that. Every part of it was just so thrilling. As we walked in here and the people who were here when I came here in 1969, lining the center aisle, I didn't catch on to that until after I almost got all the way down. But then uh, the participation of little Carly, who's here this morning, and David, and, uh, and the unbelievable, over-the-top, unexpected, thoughtful, kind gift. I mean, there's just nothing could ever be said that would be enough to express our appreciation for that. And we are going on this cruise this March, the whole gang. And so thank you for all of that and all that you uh, have done. And it's just been it's just been so absolutely wonderful. Now, since then, since we left here a few months or just a couple of months after we left, my wife and I had our 50th wedding anniversary. And... Uh, <clears throat> And just before that anniversary, I heard a story a week before about a couple that were having their their 40th anniversary. He was 62. Now, you've got to remember that. He was 62 years of age. And they're in this beautiful restaurant in this wonderful environment having a great celebration. And as they were eating, a fairy appeared on the table. Now, the rest of this message is not going to be a fairy tale. I don't want you to think that. But anyway, the fairy said, you can each have a wish, and it will be granted no matter what the wish is. And so the woman spoke right up and said, I want a 14-day cruise. Fairy said, granted. The man, he kind of hummed and hawed and hesitated and looked down, looked around, looked up at his wife and seemed to take forever. And finally, he said, well, really, what I, I really would like to have as a, as a woman, 30 years younger. <laughs> Fairy said, granted, made him 92. <clears throat> well, so I told that story at our anniversary because I said, I have the benefit of having a woman who looks 30 years younger, and so I don't have to worry about a woman 30 years younger. <laughs> anyway... There's some great times. And by the way, my wife's sister, Patricia, passed away last November. And that was her last social event that she was able to attend before uh, she took so sick that she couldn't be out for anything. 
Uh, he already mentioned, and I just will say a brief thing about this, the, uh, the CEO of this uh, Buckingham Leadership Institute. Uh, you need to hear how this came about. I was, took some time off, and then in the middle of October, I knew I had to do what I'm doing because I feel the call as strong today as I ever felt it in my life. In fact, it's intensifying with the passing of time, if anything. And so I had a meeting where I was going to form an organization, decide how to go about that, how we would market it, and all the rest, on a Wednesday in the middle of October. On a Friday, the president of Kingswood University wanted to meet with me for lunch. So we had lunch over at Swiss Chalet on Mountain Road, and he presented this whole concept of being the CEO of the Buckingham Leadership Institute. And it entailed everything that I had envisioned and even some other things that I hadn't thought about. Now, isn't that a most unbelievable thing, having a meeting on Wednesday and this all coming together, all planned and prepared and put together on a Friday? I believe there's a God. Amen. And so it's just wonderful how that these things uh, unfold. I've been doing... Now, don't start timing me. I still haven't started preaching. I have been doing more preaching than I've ever done in my life. I was just recently in Michigan and preached every day, all day long. Can you imagine that, having to listen to me all day long? To preachers I was preaching. And, uh, and of course, as you may know and probably have concluded, a preacher would sooner hear himself talk than anybody else. And so... I said, said, to that, said that to these preachers, and I said, this is heaven for me to be able to preach all day long, wanting to hear myself talk more than I want to hear anybody else talk. But I said, you guys being preachers, you would sooner hear yourself, you, you talk than anybody else. So this is not going to be heaven for you. It may be some other place for you. But anyway, <clears throat> we've had some great and wonderful times, and God is blessing. And one of the things that we're uh, trying to do is help uh, churches um, that are stuck. I'm doing consulting and that sort of thing. And I'll tell you what, it's great to come into a place because, like this because of so many places I go to. They're dead in the water. They're, they're, they're just thinking about better days that happened years ago. And nothing is much happening today. And, uh, and they don't want to change. They want the same old, same old, same old, same old. And wonder why nobody's coming to church and people are leaving the church. And uh, There's only one upside that I can figure. If 1955 ever rolls around again, they will be ready. <laughs> but, uh, but I am thankful... I'm thankful if 1955 ever rolls around again, you won't be ready because you're ready for 2014 and 2015. And God is blessing you for that. And I just have to say this. I, I'm ecstatic about the fact that you are so flexible, so open to change, that connects with the culture that we're trying to reach for Jesus. Uh, you know, I just was thinking about this as I was sitting down there uh, this morning. I remember some time ago long time ago, on Sunday night, I decided not to wear a suit. I decided just to wear a sports coat. Well, of course, I had a tie. And a lady talked to me about it after. said, I don't think you should be wearing just a sports coat on Sunday nights. You really should have a suit on. 
Times have changed. And I say hallelujah. Because we want to connect with the culture. Whatever it takes to connect with the culture, it's a small price to pay in order for that to happen. Well, the title of the message this morning, What's Missing? And I could ask you, what's missing in your life? What are you missing that you need, you should have, you really should want to have? You know what concerns me is so many people are just living life half of what they could be living. They're just so drugged down and so burdened and they just sound like they're about ready to die. No matter how old they are, I've met some 20-year-olds who are older than I am and, uh, and, and they just can hardly carry on. And you ask them, how are you doing? Well, not bad, you know. And, and life has no excitement for them, no energy, no life, no vitality, no expectation, no anticipation. It's something terrible is missing that doesn't have to be missing. And God has something for all of us that can give us life, can give us energy, can give us vitality, can give us a sense of expectation and determination and desire. And we can dream and we can experience life in the way that God meant for us to experience, which is to be filled with enthusiasm about the life that he wants to give. There's a wonderful verse of scripture in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 2. And it says this, write the vision, make it plain that he may run who reads it. Now, let me tell you, that's what's missing with many people. And it doesn't have to be missing with anybody, which is a passion for a vision that makes you want to run with it because it's something worthwhile, something important, something that God has placed in your heart, something that is right, something that is what it ought to be. And when people have a passion for a vision for something that is greater than themselves, then it can cause them to be filled with energy so they cannot just walk along and drag along. They want to run because of that passion that they have for the vision that God has called them to and wants them to have. I I have to say that uh, the first Sunday that Pastor Tim preached in this church, he talked about something that just caused me to fire up inside. And I thought, oh, if that could only happen, wouldn't it be wonderful? And then I decided, no, that's not the right way to think. Think this way. That when that happens, won't it be wonderful? And what he was talking about is everybody on a regular basis inviting other people to church so that those people can come to know Christ. And I know that's being done, and it's wonderful to see the results of all that. By the way, I forgot to tell you, I've started preaching. Now you can start timing me. (laughs) But someone has put it this way. More than any other factor, a passion for a vision determines the choices we make and how we spend our time. So that's got to be a pretty important factor, wouldn't you think? And if that's missing so that we're just all over the place and we have no real purpose, 
It's no wonder that people are bogged down with life and are overwhelmed with the pressures. And Pastor Jay prayed the right kind of prayer because I'm fully aware of everything, as much as anybody is aware probably, maybe more than most of what some people are going through and the burdens and the pressures and the pain that they are experiencing. I recently did a consulting thing in a church which I taught on Saturday morning for the whole morning. And when I started speaking, I mentioned this, what I'm saying to you right here now, that more than any other factor, a passion for a vision determines the choices we make and how we spend our time. Because when when people have a passion for a vision, they will do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do. They'll see opportunities that they wouldn't ordinarily see. They will hear things that they should hear that they wouldn't ordinarily hear. They'll go places they wouldn't ordinarily go. They'll overcome obstacles that they wouldn't ordinarily overcome because they've got a passion for a vision that energizes them and empowers them and drives them. And so I was speaking in this church that was stuck and had been stuck for a long time. And afterwards, we're having lunch and the pastor's wife, the pastor sitting there said, I think we heard what is going to make the difference in this church. And the first 10 minutes since Pastor Buckingham was speaking this morning, and I'll tell you what, this can make a difference in a church. It can make a difference in a family. It can make a difference in an individual to bring life and vitality and help us to help us to have insights that we wouldn't ordinarily have. Because you see, when people got a passion for a vision, the conscious feeds the subconscious so that the subconscious is coming alive and speaking to us with all kinds of great, exciting ideas and creativity to make life all that God meant for life to be because that passion for a vision keeps it alive. When there's a passion for a vision, it can overshadow so many weaknesses that we all have. And there's probably not anybody in this room that had more weaknesses than I had when I first started in the ministry. Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, said this, I think I overcame every single one of my own shortcomings by sheer passion. I brought the sheer passion I brought to my work. Pretty soon, everyone around you will catch the passion from you like a fever. And so our passion fires up other people's passion. And I know when I heard Pastor Tim, that first message he preached there, he did something to my passion to fire up a vision, a greater vision of what could be done and what I believe that God is going to do. Someone has put it this way. Passion can empower us to literally transcend fear, doubt, discouragement. Hear that? Transcend fear, doubt, discouragement. How many people are bogged down with discouragement because they have no passion for a vision and many other things that keep us from accomplishing accomplishment and contribution. Victor Frank, you've all heard probably about this serving in the concentration camps and people were dying left and right. A few people lived and he tried to do a study of why it was that so many died, but a few lived and he thought it might have been hereditary. It might have been uh, something to do with their family structure, their intelligence, their survival skills and all those kinds of things. Finally, he discovered the most, the single most significant factor 
was a sense of future vision. The impelling, and this is what he wrote, the impelling conviction of those who were to survive that they had a mission to perform, some important work left to do. Doesn't that make a lot of good sense to us to have a purpose? But if there's no passion, the purpose will be defeated. But there's a, when there's a passion for a vision, the purpose will come alive and things will happen. And then so many people are bogged down in an environment of negativism and, and criticism and, and uh, cr- uh, people uh, who are just always looking on the glass half empty and always negative about just about everything that's going on. When there is a passion for a vision, smallness and pettiness evaporates. It just goes away because people become energized by something more important, by a transcendent purpose that makes small things irrelevant. But if there isn't a purpose, small things become big things that hold people back and bog them down. Someone has put it again this way, and this is well, this comes from Covey, I believe. Petty things become unimportant when people are impassioned about a purpose higher than themselves. The passion of a shared vision empowers people to transcend the petty negative interactions that consume so much time and effort and deplete, thank you, deplete quality of life. It's amazing how people are so depleted, so de-energized, so weighted, so bogged down, so, so discouraged because no passion, no passion for a vision, nothing that really gets them fired up and excited. You know, even God had goals. It says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2, when he had finished the work, the work of creation, so he had to have had a goal for something to have finished something. And all of us need, especially this time of the year, this is a great time to be renewing our goals and having a passion for that vision that we set as far as our goals are concerned. Passion and vision, that is the right kind of God-given passion and vision. Now, here's something that everybody can do. Here's something that every person in this place this morning can do in order to help them to have a passion for vision. Now, hear me. It doesn't take intelligence. It doesn't take personality. Anybody and everybody could and should do it. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. I hope you can jot this down if you can't. Turn to it quickly enough. Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. It says, Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal and keep your spiritual fervor. Now I'll tell you something. There's something about it. When you honor others, that's something everybody can do. Paul said, edify one another, encourage one another. When you seek to honor others, it does something for your own life and your own passion and your, and your own joy. And, and it says right in that context to have spiritual zeal. And so I think that makes sense when we're honoring others that there will be a zeal that comes in, in no other way. I've got to tell you this little thing that just happened to me very recently. I called this church 
And uh, the lady who answered the phone, it just came through enthusiasm and, and joyfulness and excitement. And I thought, oh, this is absolute. I mean, I was just thrilled to death because so many churches I call, I'm telling you what, if you didn't know they were dead and dying, you'd be sure they were dead and dying after you, uh, after somebody, you talked to somebody on the phone because Wesleyan Church, you know. And, uh, but this church, it was just the opposite as it is when you call this place here as well. And so the lady was so receptive and so helpful. I don't know her, still have never met her. That uh, she just seemed to go overboard to want to do everything and anything that she could do uh, to be helpful to me. And so what I did, after I finished talking to her, I put the phone down and then picked it up and turned around and called her back. I said, now I really have nothing to talk to you about. But I so enjoyed that first response again. I just wanted to get that same response over again. She couldn't hardly believe it. And I went on to talk to her about how much it meant and how, how, uh, how exciting it was compared with so many places I called. Now, here's what happened. As a result of that, just that little word of encouragement, right afterwards, I got an email. I got it here on my phone. Pastor Buckingham just wanted to say thank you again for taking the time to call back and encourage me so kindly. It doesn't cost a thing. It doesn't cost a thing. But it means something. Maybe, maybe it means more to the person who does the encouraging than the person who's been encouraged. Showing God's love in this place has been such a blessing in my life. And you taking the time to call back and say that to me today reminded me of the great gift that encouragement is. And that I should be doing it more often. I should be doing it more often. You know something? You should be doing it more often. We all should be doing it more often. Then she went on to say, then she went on to say, God bless you in all that you're doing and thanks again for the gift you gave me this morning. And encouragement is maybe one of the greatest gifts that we could ever give. And when we're giving it, then we're doing something to help somebody and I think that when we have that spirit, that is when we are most Christ-like. Because here's what I see about Jesus. And here's what I see about being Christ-centered, not self-centered. And what I see about living the sanctified life of total surrender to Christ. When we are like him and we will be like him when we are adding value to other people's lives. You know, the number one thing I saw about Jesus, Jesus did not come into this world to condemn the world. He didn't come in to condemn. He came, in to, he came into this world to build up and to strengthen and to help people in their journey. And that's my whole purpose as a pastor was to be helpful in people's journey. And that's the reason I preach this message that I'm preaching to you here this morning. To be helpful to you in your journey. And as I see Jesus, he didn't ever, wasn't ever concerned about what people thought about him. He was always concerned 
about how he could help others and encourage others and add value to their life and do what was in their best interest, even though there were times he had to confront. It was in their best interest. And that, my friend, is when we will be most Christ-like. You know, when I think of encouragement, I think of Paul. I, I, I just can't get over the Apostle Paul. I, I, I just cannot get by that. It's on my mind continually as I saw what he went through and how he did not press up, uh, press, how he did not give up, but he pressed on. I took my watch off so I wouldn't have to look at it. Uh, <laughs> that's a great help, isn't it? No, not seriously. But um, in Second Corinthians chapter 11, now listen to this. Here's Paul uh, speaking here. He said, I have worked much harder been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Now think of that, getting beat half to death five times and getting thrown in prison, all this stuff that was going on. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent one night and a day in the open sea. I have constantly, I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers, have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. Is there anybody in this place has gone through that? And yet, as I read about Paul, he's saying, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are pure, and so on, so on. Think on these things. Edify one another. Give thanks. Pray for one another. He was always positive, whether he was in prison, whether he was being beaten, whatever was going on, because he had a purpose. He had God's purpose in his life that gave him the vitality to keep going forward and to keep being what God would have him to be. Lack of passion for a purpose will defeat the purpose. And Paul was always edifying. I hear so many pastor friends talking about burnout with all the pressures. I haven't talked to a pastor yet that's gone through anything like Paul went through. And I say, how can you burn out if you haven't caught on fire yet? And I'm telling you, I think there's something to be said. I really believe this. I really believe this. There's something to be said for being on fire, really and truly. You know, we've got more plans in the church today. When I first started, there were no books written about church growth. I'm getting out of the light here. I guess I shouldn't be warming around so much. But, uh, and I shouldn't be waving my arms so much either, but I can't help that. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, there's been more books and stuff written about church growth that can fill this building many times over. And yet we're not having any more church growth, probably even less today than we had when I first started 50-some years ago. And there was nothing written. I didn't have anything to go by. But I'll tell you what, I think the thing that can make the difference, it is a passion for a vision that could set these plans on fire. And all these plans that are so great and so good could cause the church to go forward like never before. Now I say to you this morning then, what is going to make the difference in your life? That's where things boil down here. I think we need to set a goal for ourselves to just be an encourager. I think that could, because that's what Jesus was. That's what Joseph in the Old Testament was. And God, we saw how God blessed him. And you say, but I'm so discouraged. Listen, the Bible says, 
give and it shall be given unto you. Right? Now we think if we've got it, then we can give it. You know, if I'm getting all kinds of encouragement, if I'm encouraged, if I'm vibrant and I am filled with life and, and, and I'm like some other people, then I could be an encourager too. You know something? Sometimes it's important to not necessarily give out of abundance, but give out of need. Whatever our need may be, that may be the very area where we need to give. Now, I've tried to think of an illustration to illustrate that. And I cannot find one better than one that some of you may have already heard. But as you know, somewhere along the line, I decided that what God wanted me to do was to greet people before and after the services for a half hour or so. And I was as awkward as a fish out of water trying to do that when I first started doing it. It wasn't natural for me. I have people saying, well, I'm not wired that way. Well, I say get rewired. Uh, but anyway, and I, I just felt inhibited and it was not comfortable. But I, I kept doing it. And I got so, after a while, I enjoyed it. Well, one Sunday morning, I came here beat. I'd been up all night. Through a devastating experience, it wasn't only the physical weariness, which would have been bad enough, it was the devastation of what I've been going through. And I didn't want to see anybody talk to anybody, but I had to preach and I knew I had to do it, whether I wanted to do it or not. And I, in my mind, said, I'm just going to sneak in the church, sneak up to my office, and then uh, when the service begins, come down, and then as soon as I'm finished preaching, zoom out of there and get away from everybody as fast as I can because I was just feeling so low and so awful. But then as I came through these doors, something hit me. And this is what hit me. The Bible says give. And it shall be given unto you. It doesn't say give if you've got it. I certainly haven't got it. But I know what the Bible says I'm supposed to do. It doesn't say give it if you've got it. Give it whether you've got it. And if you start giving it, then I believe, and this is where faith comes in, I believe that God will give you whatever is necessary for you to continue to give it. And it happened. I came in here... And I started greeting people, as I always do. And I don't know whether it was just my imagination or whether it was a God thing. I'm not sure. But encouragement was coming back to me. Now, my goal is always not to be thinking about any encouragement for myself. It's just to try to be an encouragement to everybody else. But the encouragement just poured back as I greeted people and tried to be an encouragement to them. And man, by the time it was ready for me to preach... I'm telling you, I had a spring in my step and a fire in my spirit and a a blessing on my soul so that I went up there and preached like Billy Graham. (laughs) Not really, but I felt like it. And then after the service was over, I was able to do the, the same thing over. I love, I love what the black preacher said. And of course, I love black preaching. I'll tell you, to have a black preacher on the Sunday, I got that award of pastor emeritus. It was one of the best things. That ever. I never enjoyed preaching so much in my life. Certainly a lot better than I enjoy my own. But anyway, this black preacher, there's a scripture that talks about you need to give by casting your bread upon the water, and then it will come back to you. And this black preacher, he didn't say it quite that way. He said, the Bible says, cast your bread upon the water. And it shall return unto you. 
toasted with butter and jam on it. <laughs> Amen. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. Now, right now, it may be. <laughs> you know, I find, the, I find the watch go so much faster up here than it does when I'm down there. But <laughs> it may be that facts right now are not your friends. That often happens in life. Facts. The facts of the matter. The facts of the circumstances are not friends. But the Bible says, lean not on your own understanding. That's the way we would look at it. But the way that the spiritual person looks at it, they look at the circumstances through the eyes of faith, calling that which is is as though it weren't, the Bible talks about, and, and seeing what could be and what should be through the eyes of faith, so that faith becomes our greatest friend. And faith can change the circumstances because when we get our eyes off of the facts and we see, through, see things through the eyes of faith, we are connecting with limitless power. His power. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the blood, the power of the resurrection. Power, 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 power. There's no limitations. I cannot emphasize what I'm about to say strongly enough. And Pastor Dale, in case you're nervous, I'm looking for a place to land. I'm going to come in here. Just, just pray for the fog to lift. And then we'll get down a little bit quicker. But anyway... I could never describe to you the depth of my inferiority as a kid and uh, the bad self-image and self, lack of self-esteem and all those kinds of things. And yet I felt called to preach and finally surrendered to that call. And you've all heard the story, and I'm not going to go into in detail about that. And I was asked to preach in, the, in June of 1958 on a street corner in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. Scared to never preach before, never spoke, never spoke anywhere. I don't know how many hours I spent preparing, but it, was, it went on forever, trying to prepare a 15, 10 or 15 minute message. I remember I got a great big Thompson chain reference Bible. Anyone here remember those great big Thompson chain? You could hardly lift them, they were so big and so heavy. And I thought the bigger the, the, bigger the Bible, the bigger the sermon. So I had a Thompson chain reference Bible. Had some notes there in my Bible. Started speaking. The wind came along and blew the notes away. <laughs> and as I'm speaking, there is this person standing behind me. I didn't really know that well because she was a grade ahead of me. I thought she was older than me, but I found out that she's a year or two younger than me. So you figure that one out. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, we won't go into details about that. Yeah, I am finishing. That's good. You're coming at the right time. <laughs> I didn't even tell him that. He just senses it. Or no, what he senses, he ought to be done, whether he is or not. (laughs) So anyway, uh, I'm I'm preaching away, and this Gracie Carter standing right behind me, she was a very prominent kind of person on campus that I felt inferior to and never had any conversations with her. But she was saying, amen, 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 amen. And she was just... She was cheerleading through her amens. Well, I'm telling you, for my personality, 
That was just like really, truly saying sick him to a dog. I mean, it just fired me up. And I preached like a house of fire just because I, but here, I got to tell you this. That's not the end of the story. I know you wish it were, but it's not. I woke up in the night here in June, I think it was, thinking about her. I'd not seen her in 56 years. And I thought, my, my, I cannot believe this. I have never said one word of appreciation to that woman for her kind encouragement. This is terrible. I didn't know her last name now. So I began a search. I'd heard that she lived in the Miramichi. I talked to different people up there. They didn't know where she was. And then a pastor friend of mine in Halifax, I called him. And I told him what her maiden name was, Gracie Carter. And he said, well, I have Carter so my church. Let me see if I can find anything out. That afternoon, he called me back. He said, yep, I got her name. Her brother attends this church. And he said, she lives in DeBert, Nova Scotia. And he said, uh, here's her phone number. I gave her a call. I never saw, heard anybody so ecstatic and so elated by a little word of encouragement. And then an email that came back from her again, expressing her appreciation and her encouragement and how much that meant and how encouraging that was to her. And I'll tell you, that it could be part of the reason I'm standing here preaching to you today is because of Gracie Carter standing behind me out there with my notes gone and scared to death saying, Amen, 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 Amen. 56 years ago, 56 years ago. And she said, if you're coming through to Burt sometime, stop in. I did, and she and her brother, who also went to uh, college then to Bethany, were there, and I had a great conversation reflecting, and she was, again, this encouraging, vivacious kind of a person that was energized by a passion for a vision that kept her going. Now, your conditions may not be right for you right now, and you feel like you can't be that kind of a person. The conditions don't have to be right. What has to be right is this. We have to be right with God. And then we can see things happen. And you can be right with God if you're not today by just turning your life over again to Him. More than any other factor, a passion for a vision affects the choices we make, how we spend our time. And the greatest choice that you could ever make here today is the choice to turn your life over to Christ and know what it is to have his presence, his power, enabling you to live life the way it was meant to be lived. Let's stand together. It may be here this morning that there are some who have never got in on that to experience the power of that, the vitality of that, the the life that Jesus wants to give by being released of the burdens of the past, being freed of the burdens of the past by asking Christ to forgive and Christ to come into your heart and make you his child and to be able to go from this place filled with expectation and hope because of his presence in your life. This morning you can experience that. It is so exciting to me as I've been here to church the last few Sundays 
Before that, I've been traveling every weekend. But to see people stand declaring that they are going to turn their lives over to Christ. And this morning, what I'm going to ask you to do, if you would like to turn your life over to Christ and pray that prayer, and I'll pray the prayer with you here in a minute. But pray a prayer that will enable you to become a Christian and you'd like to have this life changed today. Would you just put up your hand until we can see it and then take it back down. I'm going to start over on this side and I'll look to see if there's somebody here. You want to turn your life over to Christ. Just lift your hand high enough and keep it long enough till we can see it. Anybody like that? And we're going to pray a prayer for you. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. You know, something I never did, something I never did when I pastored here, and I regret it, is you guys clapping and cheering and rejoicing because there's rejoicing going on in heaven right now because of this person making this decision. So it's sensible that you would do it. Anybody else over in this section here, you just want to lift your hand indicating your desire. I see somebody else. Yes, amen. Great. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, that's great. Uh, You know, one of the things, Pastor Jay, that stood out to me earlier on in the service was uh, people clapped over a lot of things. But what they clapped the longest over was when he and Dale announced the number of people coming to Christ. That's what makes it worth it all. So some people over here or anywhere, just raise your hand. You want to make this decision to receive Christ in your life and live the way he would have you to live. Just put up your hand to like, if any of you see it, just start clapping. I, I don't always see them. Amen. That's great. Any others? Or we pray? All right, now you just pray this prayer, and you can go away from this place knowing for sure you're a child of God. Dear Lord, please forgive me of my sins. Please come into my life and give me new life, new strength, new vitality, new energy, that I might have a passion to live for you. Please make me your child, that I might do your will in your name. Amen.